Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Chaos Movies with Chris. It's a beautiful uh, Sunday afternoon. I had a cracker of a night on my other podcast with a man that I call a legend, my friend Chris Davies. So if you haven't checked it out, Project Chris is on Spotify and other platforms. Have a listen. But today, let's do movies. This is easy. It's simple. Den of Thieves. I'm going to go straight up and just say that if you heist movies are a, are a hard one, right? There's so many, there's so many factors in heist movies. There's the heist itself. There's what they're stealing, and there's also what the plan is. And I think that's kind of crucial to a to a script or to a narrative when when the script's been written or the narrative's been set on how they do it like take for instance i'd love to review this movie but it would just be me saying i love this movie i love this movie and i love this movie would be the town with ben affleck and jeremy rayner and john ham that that was a brilliant movie for for lots of reasons it was just it was gritty boston it was gritty that's it it was gritty den of thieves doesn't really do it and and just the name itself the den of thieves so like a tiger's den thieves like the just it's not really a it's not the best title for me this movie tries to chase heat the all famous movie heat with al pacino robert de niro in their younger days val kilmer a couple other guys the best heist movie ever made that's just it it's super long it, it's got it's just it's it is the best baseline you've got for a heist movie Den of Thieves talks about this, um, well, the start of it, if you watched it, it starts out by telling you the history of a, of a town um, that has, like it's, it's the, the ultimate crime or bank robbery town. And, it, and right up, I had to Google it. I had to make sure. I thought it was, it just doesn't make sense. And maybe there's a, a time stamp on this, but it basically comes out and says in a subtitle, 2,400 times a year, 44 times a week, nine times a day, every 48 minutes a bank is robbed. This is the bank robbery capital. Maybe they say of the world, but let's just say, for argument's sake, it's just of America because America considers themselves the world in some ways, especially when it comes to movies. So, and it's called Los Angeles. So I Googled it and I'm like, sure enough, that's what it is. But What's the statistics here? I'm sure pre-internet maybe. When the internet comes along and media comes along and cameras and the phones and everything, you can't really hide that easily. So I understand. But I just, I don't like how it starts. The dark of night, a armored vehicle just cruising around on its route because these guys all follow a route. Clearly, I guess they jumped off their route because they went to a donut shop that part really does annoy me, frustrates me. Donuts. Cops and donuts. They seem to just force it. We don't, our police officers don't eat donuts over here in Australia. And this is an armored vehicle. The guy gets out of the back of the armored vehicle to go in to get donuts. And, or two of them actually, and leave one guy in. I'm not sure what the regulation is there, but, you know. It's kind of a weird thing just to set, and it's a donut shop in the middle of kind of nowhere near the airport. And um, yeah, you know, 
that's that's a great place. It, it's got a bit of merit in it. The the planning when I was talking about doing heist movies, when there's a planning thing involved, the let's just say the robbers in this movie know the route of the um of the the truck, so they just follow it. But it happens to be a route where it's not. It's around an airport or a airspace that can't be flown over by a chopper. So why not rob the the van and Clearly, these guys are dressed in the biggest tactical gear, which screams that they're probably military background. We already know that from the, from like just looking at it. They do a bit of a fast and furious thing, pull the window out by drilling it. The guy in the passenger seat doesn't want to try pull his gun out at all. You know, hands up. Maybe the driver doesn't have a gun in an armored vehicle. I'm not sure. I'm not an armored vehicle expert, but... These guys are drilling in, pulling the window out. And in that time, I know they've got full, full machine guns on him, but he could have just popped off a couple because he dies anyway. I'm pretty sure he dies anyway. Uh, and this is all in the first five minutes of the film. It's a huge shootout, which that got me interested as to how they're going to get this movie going. A shootout gets everyone involved. The weaponry... The sound effects, the the just the the setup of the scene, it's actually pretty spectacular, and that's where, apart from the acting and the characters and everything in Heat, one of the biggest things was the shootout scene, and if that is the base movie for every heist movie, uh, sorry base baseline for every heist movie, then they're going to make sure they get the, a shootout going on in the movie. This one does it right at the start, and they use various weapons. The sound is on point. They start killing cops and straight up, that's the weirdest part. It all starts because a guy, a security guard, drops a coffee and one of the guys just shits the bed and just annihilates him. And they're like, what the fuck was that? Because they're just, they're thieves. So den of thieves or den of murderers because first five minutes of this movie, these dudes have wiped out cops. Six of them, I think. Eleven, I think six dead. Another six went to the hospital and they're going to be okay. It... <laughs> Really unusual start to the movie for a heist movie, you know. They're trying to get you some grit. They're trying to get you into the into the zone. So that that's it. And then, of course, they find out that the truck that they robbed was empty, um, which that's too obvious for us. At this stage, we didn't know. At this stage, you don't know where it was going. But they bring on uh, this. This where it gets a little bit interesting. You start getting a little bit of hope for this movie. You start thinking, oh, look, shit, things are looking up. You know, coolest thing about how they went about this movie, this film, this production, was that the bad dudes... Okay, let's give you a cast rundown, okay? I don't do things off the bat perfect. Basically, Gerard Butler, he's um, basically the leader of the LSDA, which is a specialist sheriff group. I'll get into them a bit later. And then the leader of the bad boys is Pablo Schreiber. His name is Merryman. Gerard Butler's name is Big Nick, right? So you've got those two. So under Pablo's crew, you've got O'Shea Jackson Jr., Ice Cube's boy, 50 Cent. Uh, you've got uh, Maurice Comp. Well, Ramise, uh, Maurice Comp. Let's just say he was the Reaper, I think, in a movie called End of Watch. Uh, you've got Brian Van Holt, who was boxer in SWAT with Colin Farrell. and Bosco, which was Cheddar Bob in um, Eight Mile, 
So they're the bad dudes, okay? You've got them. They, 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 you know these guys right from the start. That's straight up. There's no secret. So you know who the bad crew is. And then it's the, the job of the, the sheriff's department who are the worst of the worst that were given badges in order to, you know, they're major crimes. And Dry Butler heads up a group, um, which is um, old mate, Foxer. Uh, Mo Mac and uh, McRae, he plays Gus. And then you've got another guy and another guy and another guy. Okay, that's it. Looking up the, the what do you call it, the history or the filming of this movie, they were tactically trained by a military dude called Paul... Um, he, he he's pretty involved in all these types of uh, movies where specialist training is needed, and they actually um, trained him separately to create rivalry, which was actually that was pretty sweet. It's pretty cute. I like that. Paul Maurice is his name. So in the in the movie, this, this part actually you actually notice it. You do see it. It, they shoot it differently, but you notice that the cops and the robbers, they've got tactical training, even though the bad guys have military backgrounds, which they do not really elaborate on. There's no backstory. There's no nothing. Soon as this robbery goes down, Gerard Butler and his crew are straight up just going, what about Merriman, which is Pablo's character? What's he doing? Oh, he got out of jail eight months ago. Eight months ago. Okay, cool. What about the tail on this guy? Yep, he's still on him. Should we pick him up? Let's pick him up. Now, that's O'Shea Jackson. And he works at a pub. And I'm like, why Why we? Why do you even know all this? I know you made your crimes and you know the players and the games, but as soon as this robbery happens and it had like, these are your no-fuck-around type guys, you guys already have a list of people ready to go. It seems like you already connected the dots, but it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But the exciting part is that they trained them separately so that they at the end of the movie which i'll get to later it'll 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 show you how the teams work together pretty well in the film when they're advancing on each other in a shootout you can see the training i guess only as long as the camera stays on them that you can see it that that's that's pretty cool that's unique that's a unique style there that that I picked up on. You watch it, you might just watch this movie and go, great, shootout movie, good heist, whatever, but there's just too many things that I see when you're watching it and just go, yeah, you know. It's loosely based. It's not loosely based. It's actually based off a real FBI, uh, not FBI agent, um, uh, guy who pl- has a cameo part. His name is uh, uh, Jay Dobson or Dobbins, Dobbins, uh, D-O-B-Y-N-S. Uh he was an ATF agent and he was known for his undercover work and his ability to infiltrate organized crime, which Gerard Butler's character does too. This movie, he doesn't really infiltrate. He grabs people and pulls them apart in order to find out what's going on in the crime world. And they give that guy, Jay, they give him a cameo part in this movie in the bar scene with um, O'Shea Jackson. Um, that's a, that's, that's cool. I like movies when they're trying to go truthful. They'll bring the person who's given them the story or the 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 the, the narrative to work with the movie. They'll put them in it just as a thank you. That, that's pretty cool. It just doesn't gel as well as a lot of movies gel. So from the start, you've got you've got a 
uh, a robbery of an armored truck. Police get killed. Truck gets stolen. Truck has nothing in it. Then they send in major crimes, which is Gerard Butler's group. And then you've got the FBI group who hates Gerard Butler's guts and Gerard Butler's crazy, but his dialogue is shit. He, it's like he's a, he's, a, he's a kid in an adult's body and his insults are very, very immature. But it's Gerard Butler. He's going to flex it and you're going to like it. The dude puts on like, I don't know, 17 kilos for this role. The director wanted him to do it. He's got tats all over him and the group that he's with, you know, they've got tats and they, they don't follow the, the, the rules per se, but that's what they do. And then, of course, when they start to piece all the bad dudes that are lurking around, who could this group be? Who could it, who could, who have done the job? And we don't fuck, you know, these guys are heavy hitters. Let's find them. Then they have a list of guys already there. 50 Cent is probably the coolest dude in this group. They, they show you something about the pub, which I'll, I'll bring it up now. Um, O'Shea Jackson's the pub guy. He doesn't fit into this movie at all the whole way through. And there's a reason for that at the end. You, if you're smart enough, you might pick it up at the start. I didn't, but he just didn't, he just, he just didn't sit right. If you watch Ocean's Eleven, right, and they're doing a robbery and the guy who crawls through the vents and shit, it's the little Chinese, the little Asian guy. He's the grease man, as they'd call it. I think George Clooney calls it a grease man. He's the little dude, like five foot, lightweight, small, acrobatic, gets the shit done internally. In this movie, O'Shea Jackson is that dude. And I'm like, hold on. You've got picked up. So they pick him up. The, the sheriff's department picked this guy up. They taser him. He pees his pants. He ends up in a hotel with strippers and this group of misfit cops that you're scared shitless of because they have a badge, but they aren't arrest-type people. They are, we will fucking shoot you, and then we'll write it up whatever way we see fit. And I'm just like, this guy pissed himself? And he's, but he's of interest, and he's in a pub all the time? I just, it, and he and he gets this, this name tag from one of the pub patrons, and it says, Fort Knox, I guess you could say, on the tag. And then he just, they, they linger on that long enough for you to go, uh, and then he puts it into the till. Instead of running out to the guy who's probably like, hey, man, you work for Fort Knox. Do you want your ID card? Because if I know anything about that, you'd probably get in trouble if you lost it. You'd probably get fired. It's pretty, you know, that ID card is everything, right? For military, banking, anything that has high-level security. He'd want it. No, no, no. This dude, O'Shea Jackson, puts it in to the, the till, closes it up. He'll be back for it. Anyway, that's when Gerard Butler runs into him and then starts making some weird homophobic jokes and it was sort of all over the shop. I don't know. Maybe it's just to set the scene that Gerard's character is fucking psycho. Doesn't make sense to me, but they pick him up and take him to this, this hotel where he pisses himself after being tased and they force him to say what he needs to say. And I don't know how many movies where someone says, hey man, I'm just, a, I'm just a dude and this is all they tell me. I don't know anything. After he kind of tells a bit of a story, Gerard Butler sort of applauses and just says, hey, that sounded pretty convincing to me. But then he proceeds to tell him the entire involvement of his thing. He had a pass. He was, he was home free. They were going to let him go probably. But then he goes on to tell him how he's a driver for this guy called Merriman. And he scared the shit out of him. He said, you can drive, you're hired for the job. 
and that's all I know. And then they let him go. And that's it. You don't hear anything else from that. They got a tail on him. It's just really sus. And uh, Ice Cube. O'Shea Jackson does not fit in to this movie at all from up to this point. And then what else doesn't work in this movie is just the the two main dudes, 50 Cent and Pablo or Merriman. Merriman doesn't seem like he's he's got this look about him and he's always it's not a it's not a leader's look. And I I picked this up. This part I did notice. I'm like, man, this guy doesn't seem like legit, right? Merriman Pablo he doesn't have a massive acting background, whereas O'Shea Jackson kind of has a bit of credit behind him, plus his dad. So I started thinking to myself, well, hang on. You put him in this position, and then you put Thingo over here. There must be a reason why O'Shea Jackson's character exists. That's, that's what was bugging me the whole time. It just never made sense. He was the guy who did everything in this movie. He was the one who got arrested by the cops, then he got interrogated, and then he got set free, and then he got confronted in a Japanese bar where Gerard Butler just insults the entire robbery crew while they're eating dinner in front of their women in the the worst fashion ever. It was a terrible, terrible scene. It was a point, and it was a point break sort of feel to it as well. They were all football guys. The bad guys recognized the cops because... Gerard Butler played football. Any notice that from a from a surveillance shot of the crime scene from the start of the movie, Pablo Merriman was just like, uh, "Who's on scene?" He's like, "Oh, these hotshot major crimes guys are rocked up." And he and he pauses it and he goes, "This guy seems to be running the shots." And he looks at him, quickly gets on the internet and types like he's a hacker. You know, bang, 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 bang. boom, pulls the screen over and shows his team and goes. I knew I recognized him somewhere. And then they all collectively go, hey, man, he played like, he's not quarterback, but he was like, hey, he was like, you know, left tackle for Polytech or some shit like that. And they also played football together. So they were all kind of connected from some sort of football background in college or high school. It was just weird. That was a weird thing to throw in there. You've got this crazy cop hell-bent on bringing down thieves in this movie. And then you've got these thieves who are from the war and their reasoning for robbing banks doesn't make sense at all. Doesn't make sense at all. Not only that, this whole movie is based off them wanting to rob the Fort Knox, uh, Fort Knox brand in LA, in Los Angeles. Like, did you not hear what I said? 2,400 times, 44 times a week, nine times a day. 48 seconds, every bank branch is getting robbed, but these guys want to go straight for the vault, the biggest vault in that area with no backstory whatsoever, but have all the plans, front all this money, put in place all this stuff. Oh, man. I did Hunter Killer the other day, and that was, that was, that was bad to a degree. This movie just doesn't, doesn't gel. Nothing gels except for the shootout scenes. This is the only thing that saves this movie and the ending, I guess you could say. But if you're smart enough, you would pull that ending up before I, and I'm not probably going to mention it. I'll leave it. I'm not even going to say. If you've heard what I said, you can probably put some things together. Watch it, listen to me, watch it, listen to me, figure it out for yourself. But the sound and not to mention 
just the firearms in this movie, that part, I'll give them a 10 out of 10. And as I said, they had to go off heat. The town, if you're going to make a movie based on um, on uh, like shootouts or with shootouts, then you're going to want to really nail it. The sound quality at the end and, and the start when it comes to um, firearms, what do you discharge? Um, it, it's good. I'll give you I'll give you the rundown real quick of the weapons used in this movie, and they have a wide range. The coolest gun, handgun for me was was Gerard Butler's gun. He pulls it out at the start, at the end, blah blah blah. It's called an FN FNX Tactical Forty Five. It looks like some of those weapons that Taron Tactical uses. If you ever have seen the clips of uh, Kevin Hart and um, Keanu Reeves, Joe Rogan, all the boys go into Taron Tactical's um, range. You'll see the weapons that he works with. They're a lot fancier than this one, but it's got a it's got an, a a red dot on the top of it, which is it's pretty special. They use a Hecklecock forty five. They use a a Sig P two two six, a Smith and Western MP, a Beretta nine two, a Patton pistol M nineteen. They're the handguns. That's a variety for me. That's that's like, you know, most movies, I think the Equalizer, all of them were Hecklecocks, most of them. And then also in Extraction with Chris Hemsworth, I think a lot of them were Berettas maybe or Sigs, I'm not sure. But they they really do well to give you a variety of weapons in this, and especially at the end, especially when they're loading up. When they're loading up for the the big robbery, they call it, which in my book was a like a distraction or a deterrent. Um, they show the good guys and the bad guys loading up all their weapons like they've been trained to work as a team. So he gets his gun, this guy's just clicking in rounds into his magazine. The other guy comes up and he's just like, hey man, spot me a, spot me a mag and he throws him one and they load up. So it's just like this, this uniformed effort to be in sync with each other and understand what they're in for. But it also screams out that they're all going to die in some way, right? It's like their last supper. Hey, guys, load up. Is my vest tight? My bullet's good? How's the gun? How's the sights? And they all look at each other. They're all psyching themselves up like before the boxing match. And they're all just sort of pumped up. The, th- that's fine by me. The weaponry's fine. So that's what I said. That start. It saves the movie. This, this whole part saves the movie. Gerard Butler uses a, a, um, a Scar L at the end. The one of the guys uses a diplomat N4 Nevesky, a Heclecock HK 416D, the M4A carbine, the M249 saw, the Remington 870 entry shotgun, the S12K shotgun. Look at that. And pay attention to the shootout scene at the end. They're not, it's just mm, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Each gun gets its own sound section. A little bit too obvious, but I'll go with it. Every time someone shoots, just have a listen to the sound from each gun. It sounds like they're shooting in a massive hallway. In fact, they're shooting in an open road in Atlanta, Georgia, somewhere probably with blanks, obviously. And it's just perfect. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed that part. It, it wasn't like heat in the city. That shootout sound 
used the buildings and they placed cam- uh, like sound equipment around the buildings just to capture that that atmosphere. But in this movie, they they didn't probably get that. They had a couple of overpasses, a couple of train lines nearby that might have rebound the acoustics off these weapons. But what a beautiful shootout scene! It as I said, just have a little watch. The ending, I'm not going to tell you what goes on. Um, there's there's a lot of questions as to how they why they went about it. Gerard Butler's character. He's reckless before you find out he's about to get a divorce because he's fucking around on his wife, and he's and he's a family man. But it doesn't. It's in. It's it seems irrelevant. He's already crazy before that goes down. Um, Fifty Cent is quiet as a mouse, but built bigger than you've ever seen him. And there's a weird scene that almost screams like a like a Bad Boys Two. Who the fuck is Reggie? Scene. You know, nothing will ever replace that scene between Will Smith, Martin Lawrence, and Reggie. That scene is the coolest scene in the world and 100% scary and 100% believable. In this one, 50 Cent's daughter's got a prom day in the middle. It looks like the middle of the day and this young little thug walks up to the door and he's like got his little, he's got his frost on his ear and he's like, damn girl, you look fine. And then of course, 50 walks over in a singlet with his muscles are just jacked. And he's like, let me holler my boy for a second. The girls are worried, like, what's going to happen? What's dad going to do? Takes him into this garage where it looks like the entire prison yard gang is in there working out. And he just wants to talk to him about how it's his responsibility to look after his daughter for so many years and now he's handing it off to him. 100% irrelevant to the whole movie. You're trying to say that these, these, these cop killers from the start of the movie – to bank thieves or whatever they are throughout the movie that have a heart for family. They just murdered a bunch of cops at the start. Makes no sense whatever. They're trying to throw some sort of comedy into it. And there is. They all laugh after they scare the shit out of this little kid before his prom date. But And and half the dudes in this gym aren't even part of the crew. So it, it, it I don't know what they're trying to do, why they're trying to make that an audience pleaser. It, it's not for me. You look at it and go, oh, yeah, cool. That's tough, but it just shows you that Merriman isn't the leader in this at all, especially by that scene. I, I you know, I doesn't make sense. There's a lot of things that don't make sense. So I still thoroughly enjoyed watching it as an action film. It's just if you just sort of blur your eyes and watch the movie, and then uh, you know adjust your eyes when you need to, then it will help you but if you sit down and watch it and and you're a bit of a movie buff you'll start just going what huh how why i don't understand oh shootout scene that's fucking awesome the guns wow that's cool dead people awesome love a bit of that but as for an actual storytelling movie mm -mm. jump onto heat or the town those two movies in my book are the best highest movies and obviously oceans whatever but they don't really kill people in that film it's a bit pg those are the the ones I'd say to go for. Like I said with Hunter Killer, jump on, watch Crimson Tide, U571, or obviously Hunt for Red October. This movie, watch Heat or The Town. You'd be surprised. Watch this movie just to see how they try to throw it together. And then after you're done, wait a little bit and then wait again and I'll put up another review. Chaos Movies, 
comes at you at least twice, maybe three times a week. Depends on what I'm watching and depends on how I feel at the time. As always, appreciate you listening, guys. Chaos Movies, I'm here for you. I'll chat to you later. Bye-bye.